Romans chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 18. Romans 8, page 800. The page numbers are in the middle of the Bibles, which is the most unhelpful place for them to be. But that's where they are. And join me as I read this short section. So from verse 18 of chapter 8 of Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated (coughs) from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And finally, turn to Revelation 21, which is on page 878. Chapter 21 of Revelation, page 878. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're thinking about this theme of suffering today and why believe in God when there's so much suffering. 
And we're not the first to think through this question. The atheist and philosopher Nietzsche said that to live is to suffer. And to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Which begs the question, well, how do you find the meaning in the suffering? And here in Ireland, we had a TV series called The Meaning of Life that one of our iconic broadcasters, Gay Byrne, did for quite some time. And he interviewed Stephen Fry, who is famous for his atheism as much as he is for his, for his art in his acting and other things that he's involved in. But during the course of the interview, Fry was asked what he would say to God when he met him at the pearly gates, as it was put to him. And he became very animated and angry. And he'd said, I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is so much misery that's not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. Now, maybe you can sympathize with that, relate to that, and many people could and do, whether that's on a personal level and the things that you have experienced. Just in recent weeks, in one of our family churches, a 17-year-old boy died suddenly. What's that about? Or sometimes it's a philosophical question in the sense that it's not so personal, but you're looking at the world around you and you're asking, why is all this stuff happening? So this is an important question for us all to think about, regardless of where we come from in terms of matters of faith and spirituality, because it's a question for our humanity. And so I want to step back for a moment and say, all right, what about if God didn't exist? What if, what if there is no God? What does that mean? What are the implications for this question of suffering? Well, Francis Crick was a molecular biologist, a biophysicist, and a neuroscientist. You know these people, how do they get so many brains? But he says in his book, he wrote one called The Astonishing Hypotheses. He says, you, your joys, and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Now where do you go with that then when you apply that to the problem of suffering? How does it address that sense of outrage that Stephen Fry was expressing? What does that say to issues like worms in the eyes of children that was so disturbing for Stephen Fry. If that's the sum total of it, and there's no God, where do you go with it? Well, here's what Richard Dawkins says on this issue. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replications, some people are going to get lucky, and some people are going to get hurt, 
and we won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's from his book, The River Out of Eden. And that is a consistent conclusion to come to if you say there is no God. But does it satisfy the questions that we ask? If there is no God, why complain about it? That's just the way the world is. Why even ask why? The best you can do is just take your place in a brutal and meaningless chaos and hope that you get lucky. But what then do you do with this outrage that we feel when we see injustice and suffering all around us? That reaction that we have that tells us that it's just not right that these things are happening. Should we be angry at just the the capricious, mean, stupid universe? Should we just suck it up and shut up? When you look and listen to that clip of Stephen Fry responding, you can see that he is appalled by suffering. And that is good and right. Nobody should just accept it. It's not natural to us to do that. We want to understand. We want to find rhyme. We want to find reason. And we want some kind of harmony to it. And we have a deep desire for justice. Where's all that come from? Fry goes on to make an intriguing comment when he says about atheism, it's not simply about not believing there is a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? And he then says, it's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. How is it perfectly apparent? How is Fry arriving at his conclusions about the God that he says he doesn't believe exists? Where is his reference point for the attributes he gives to the God he doesn't believe in or want to believe in? He suspects that God presents himself as some kind of all-knowing and all-good God. But why does he think that? Where does he get that from? And if he's taking his cue from the Bible, might it not be wise to consider all of what the scriptures have to say on these matters? Is it not just a tad arrogant to assume that if God does indeed exist, and if he created the universe, and if he created humanity, And if he created their intellect and the human intellect is derivative from the creator, is it not possible that he might have some kind of response to what Stephen Fry has to say? Or would he just say, oh, you got me, Stephen. I don't know what to say. But the question itself is a valid one. If God does exist What kind of God is he? 
And might he have a greater perspective and purpose unknown to Stephen Fry? Philosophically and logically, this question has been long asked. If God is willing to prevent evil, but he is not able, well then, he's impotent. He can't help. If God is able, but he is not willing, well then he must be evil. That's the conclusion that kind that, that has been approached around these questions. And the question is, well, if he is both willing and able, well then why is there suffering and evil? So therefore God must not exist. So what is God like? Is he like some kind of cosmic underachiever who just can't address the issues that have resulted from his own creation of the world? Is he powerful, but he's just not powerful enough? Did he run out of energy or capacity somehow? If we abandon belief in an all-powerful God, we have no grounds to complain about it, because after all, God's just trying his best. Give him a break. He can't win them all. You can just thank him for the good stuff and just accept that he can't address the whole lot. Or maybe Satan is to blame for the bad stuff. It just depends on how the dice fall. If he is not all-powerful, then he can't be blamed, but nor can he give any hope. So how can he be all-powerful, good, and bring hope all at the same time? Fry asked, why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? And the simple answer is, well, you shouldn't, and he didn't. The scriptures tell us that God's creation was perfect with no injustice, no pain, no bone cancer. But humanity rebelled against the good God and that is the root cause of all suffering. And suffering is an intrusion into a perfect world. And humanity itself is the source of that intrusion. And the scriptures take suffering very, very seriously. You see humanity wrestling with it and asking the hard questions about this lived experience from start to finish in the pages of the Bible. Just to give you a flavor from what Anna read to us earlier from Psalm 6. David says, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. And he asks, how long, O Lord? How long? How long must I endure this suffering? Why are things like this? So the Bible doesn't try to gloss over the difficulty of suffering in our experience. It doesn't tell you, well, have faith and ignore it. It's not some glib, serene kind of response. It's very gutsy, authentic, raw, and honest, and corresponds precisely to our sense of outrage and displeasure and discomfort with these experiences personally and in our world. We read from Romans 8 earlier, where creation itself is groaning as if in labor pains, longing to be rid of this curse of suffering. And the response that we saw from Fry against God, it demonstrates 
one clear reality, that this world is in need of redemption and rescue. And we are not happy with the state that it is in. That, I think, is shared across the board. And the essence of the Christian response to suffering is not a philosophical one. It's not speculative. But it is an announcement of how the all-powerful good God intervened himself personally in this broken world to bring about redemption and restoration. But he does it in a manner that nobody would have or could have ever expected. The God of the scriptures bears no resemblance to the caricature that Stephen Fry presents. The God of the scriptures did what we would never expect from an all-powerful God. He became vulnerable. He became a man born in an animal shed, the target of vicious death plots right from when he was a baby. And as a man, he was arrested as a common criminal. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spat on. He was flogged to a pulp. He was finally hung up and nailed to a cross like some animal carcass in a crown of thorns. And Tim Keller writes, if we again ask the question, why does God allow suffering, evil and suffering, to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus. We still have questions. However, we now know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. And that is what was being prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came by Isaiah. We read from Isaiah chapter 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God had been driven by love, a love that eventually saw him come face to face with the dark evil and injustices of this world. And what we see achieved from what he did is pictured for us in that reading from Revelation 21, the end purpose of what God intends to do, where he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And ironically, one of the reasons why God has not yet done this is to give people like Stephen Fry and perhaps some of you even here today an opportunity to come to him in repentance and faith and to enjoy the forgiveness and grace of the cross. 
The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not fear, forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So ironically, one of the reasons why God has not yet brought about this new restored order and removed all the suffering and evil yet is to give you the opportunity to come to him in repentance and faith. So what are we to conclude? Atheism fails to answer why it is we find suffering so deeply disturbing. Belief in Jesus will still leave pain and unanswered questions, but it provides a framework and perspective to work through and find hope in. It provides strength and real hope even in suffering with the promise of how it will all finally be undone. I put it to you that what the scriptures present is not merely the better of two options, but the truth. As revealed by the God who has created us, entered into suffering himself in the person of Jesus, and will leave nothing with any trace of suffering in his new creation. In closing, Stephen Fry seems to be of the opinion that were he to stand before God on the day of judgment, he would stand before him as some kind of equal and say to God, the God that he never believed in, how dare you? Is it not staggering that he could conceive of himself meeting the God he said did not exist and shake his fist at him even then? What kind of arrogance is that? It seems more than a little problematic. Is it not more reasonable to assume that in seeing he was wrong or any of us was wrong about the existence of God, you might also realize that rather than God having to answer him, perhaps he and we might have to answer God. Would he say, how dare you God? Or would he fall to his knees and say, how dare I? Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you are one who is familiar with suffering. That we see that explicitly in the person of Jesus. We cry out to you and say, how long, O Lord, must we suffer? We hear your words also of your patience. We pray you would help us in the meantime.
to trust you. Bring us the balm of healing where we are hurting today. Bring us reassurance, hope, and help in our suffering. We pray for the Banks family, grieving deeply the loss of their beautiful child. We pray that in the suffering we see in their hearts and lives and witness in the world around us, that you would be that shepherd in the valley, that you would bring them comfort, that you would bring them help, and that you, Father, would hold them fast. And in this broken world of ours, may we run to you seeking refuge, peace, and help. In Jesus' name. Amen.